Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, America. Welcome to the program. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, being joined by Cliff Stewart. Also, our uh, special contributing analyst, Exoneree Lamont Banks. And joining us tonight is uh, new to our team, is uh, new co-host, Lisa Stewart. Ethel Lopez will be leaving us as, as after tonight. And uh, we're going to uh, turn the mic over to Ethel here in a moment, but... Callers, if you'd like to join in later in the program, uh, if you have questions or comments, our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing good, good Sam. Good. Doing pretty well. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Lisa's sitting here like, do I say something now? <laughs> Uh, and before we go any further, let me just kind of throw in here that we are not attorneys and a just cause coast to coast does not provide legal advice. So please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or a just cause coast to coast. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. Later on tonight, we're going to be talking about who profits from prisons. And joining us will be Byron Price. Uh, he's going to talk about that, and you know, as we were talking just a little bit before the program, Cliff, there is a lot of money that flows uh, in the prison industrial complex now. Oh, yeah. And I know Lamont Banks, he's going to have, uh, he's going to chime in on this particular subject as an analyst uh, uh, regarding the the profits that prisons make. Also, later in the program, as far as a profile of the wrongly convicted, uh, joining us will be Kimberly Jenkins Snodgrass, and she's going to be talking about her son, Kevin. And so uh, before we move any further, uh, let's, uh, let's turn it over to Ethel. And as I stated, uh, Ethel will be leaving us. And so, Ethel, I know you, you wanted to share some thoughts and some words, so we're going to turn it over to you. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. And thanks to uh, Cliff and Lamont, Lisa, and the rest of the AJC team, uh, radio team, as well as um, the AJC organization. And um, first, I, I want to say, you know, just give a hearty thank you to all of our, our faithful radio listeners who've been with us since the program began. I just want to let you know that I truly appreciate your faithfulness. And with that said, I just, you know, just want to say a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm rendering my resignation as of today as co-host of AJC Radio and vice president of the Media Outreach Program. Uh, my resignation comes with, with a heavy heart that I really cannot explain because I, I have such anger in my heart for what I've seen and heard, you know, from, from the judicial system as well as from mainstream media in this country. And, and, and sometimes that anger causes a person to say something that they may not mean or, or they may not intend to say, but, but, you know, sometimes anger can be good. Uh, you know, it can be a good emotion, but I don't want to bring a bad light upon AJC radio or uh, the organization. So I feel I, I just need to take a step back and reassess how I might be useful to uh, a, a wonderful organization such as the Just Cause. 
And, and to say this, you, you know, as a military veteran for, uh, for about eight years and federal civil servant for 25 years, there was truly a time when, when I believed this country cared about our veterans. I honestly believed in our judicial system. My ex-husband and I were both active duty, and, and we both felt that, you know, we had a great justice system in this country. I serve my country because I truly believe in what America stood for. I believe the Constitution, when it said that, you know, we have a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. I believe that. I don't believe that anymore. Because, you know, not because the Constitution lied, but because of those who have taken an oath to abide, to, 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 uh, taken an oath to abide by it, but instead of abiding by it, they've gutted the Constitution and replaced it with their own agendas. And I'm not talking about all of, the, all of them, you know, but, but, but there are way too many that have done this. And, and it irks me. It irks me. It hurts my heart when I, when I see this stuff. You know, I, I left my position with the federal government to become a full-time volunteer with the Just Cause over two years ago. You know, but, but volunteering on and off since its inception in 2005. But every day that God opens my eyes, I look at the injustice that's been so ingrained into our so-called justice system. I, I look at the families of the wrongly convicted IRP6 whose, whose hearts have been ripped out by the injustice, injustice that's been done to their families. I, I can't even wrap my head around this type of injustice. And almost every person within the Department of Justice and every other entity around it turns a blind eye to these issues. I keep hearing the phrase about America having the, the, the best justice system in the world. Well, is that because we have the highest incarceration rate of innocent people in the world? It, there can't be any other explanation for all of it. This crap is really, really devastating. When we have veterans in prison unjustly and being fed expired food, treated inhumanely, I must say, I must say that I've become mentally and psychologically disillusioned with our federal justice system. I stayed up late most nights, on many occasions all night, because I believe that someone who calls themselves lawmakers in this country would hear a plea for these wrongly convicted IT executives and would do the right thing. If you've never fought a fight such as this, walk for a moment in my shoes, then you will understand. You see, I know these men. They are my brothers. I know their integrity, their families. I know their lives. Their voices must be heard. Someone must cry out for these men. They are why I fight every day. And though not through a just cause, I will continue to fight for these men and their families, not only them, but for others who've been wrongly convicted and have no voice from behind, behind prison walls. I will fight until the day I die. I'm appalled at what I see in this so-called great country, one we call the greatest country in the world. We have thousands of committees that cover every area within the government from A to Z. But where is the committee that hears the cries of the wrongly convicted that our government has tossed in prison because of their own agenda and greed? Where is that committee? We, the American people, especially those of us 
who have family members wrongly convicted, executed, or who've died while in prison. We must take a stand. Now is the time. Now is the time. I will continue to express my personal feelings about the wrongful convictions of the IRP6 as well as other wrongful convictions that I hear about. I'll never stop. We say we fight for freedom and justice in America. Whose freedom? Whose justice? At this time, I find myself very angry. And I know I cannot allow my anger to control me. I find myself talking to people in the media, and they're so rude and nasty that I may say something that I shouldn't or maybe that I didn't even mean. But I know that I must be in control because I would never want anything I say out of anger to put AJC organization or AJC radio in a bad light. This is an expanding organization, professional organization, and one that any person who wants to fight for justice in the American judicial system would want to be a part of. How is it, tell me, that we have a president of the free world who does not have absolute power? Then we can trust the lives of our citizens to corrupt judges, corrupt prosecutors who are given absolute immunity. Something is very wrong with this country and those who call themselves the lawmakers when this can happen in the free world. We have a crisis going on here. Now hearing talks of ISIS sleeper cells in our country, but the U.S. military veterans who've developed the software to prevent this type of people from infiltrating our country are sitting in a federal prison unjustly. Is there anyone out there, anyone, who speaks for military veterans? Anybody? As I stated before, I don't want my anger to control me because if I do, I will allow the enemy, that's the corrupt judges and prosecutors of this country, I would allow them to win, and that's not what I'm about. So in the interest of maintaining the integrity and and professionalism of a just cause organization and AJC radio coast to coast, I take a step back and I take a little time out and breathe. But rest assured, AJC radio would not be left without it with an empty seat. Charlisa Stewart, sister to one of the IRP six men will step in from time to time and take up the slack. She's an expert on what's happened in their case as well as completely well-informed about the injustice within our judicial system. So people, I, I, I ask you, please, I beg of you, don't just sit back and do nothing, but take a stand, because the life you fight for today could be yours tomorrow. And I want to thank you for listening and for having had me on this program. God bless you all, and God bless the IRP6. God bless you, Ethel. And, you know, um, I have to chime in and say that, you know, Ethel has been a great contributor to the mission of a just cause and, and uh, AJC radio and to the IRP six. I mean, you know, there is no, there has been no one uh, who has been as tenacious. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, in, in doing research and, and finding information, finding people uh, as we need to, try and reach out and, and get people uh, in, in touch with certain people, with, whether it be within the government or uh, within other agencies, uh, and to try and uh, execute some action and facilitate action on behalf of the IRP-6. And so, Ethel, I mean, you know, the, uh, no one 
can uh, can say that you have not been a a prime contributor and and you know something you said is in the sense of you know uh, walking your shoes for a day you know I don't think a lot of people can handle that you know uh, because and, and we talk about it from time to time here on the show uh, that until you have experienced this firsthand yourself uh, there's this complacency that people uh, tend to have uh, that. It's an attitude of, well, it, it hasn't happened to me. It's not happening to me. Mm-hmm. It hasn't touched someone in my family, so it's not happening. Yeah. And I think you lived that every day mm-hmm. from the standpoint of you, you personalized it. Yeah. And you made it uh, a thing where, um, like you said, these are your brothers, the IRP6. And, you know, and, and we know that there are pressures and there are frustrations that uh, when this type of injustice uh, happens to anyone, and we hear it uh, in other in other stories and, and other cases um, that we can relate. Yeah. And like you said, you know, at some point when it gets to a certain point, then yeah, you, you have to step back. Yeah. And but we know that, uh, as you said, we know that you'll continue to fight for the IRP six as well as anyone else that's been uh, wrongly convicted, um, because it takes people like you, Ethel to bring it to the to the forefront and you know put it into the face of those people who who need to hear it and people who need to you know t- uh take action people who have the power to take action and so you know one thing uh, you know that in clip I'll let you jump in there but um you know we're going to just do a little bit of restructuring as far as the AJC radio and so you know w- one of the things we're going to do is is bring in different co-hosts uh, from time to time Lisa is going to be for the most part a, a, a mainstay uh, but then we're going to bring in other uh, co-hosts from time to time to get a different perspective, and uh, and and you know that's that, that's going to help keep the keep uh, the program fresh and help us to you know give some perspectives from other uh, other angles. I mean that's one of the things that Lamont brings to the program as a special contributing analyst. Uh, so anyway, Apple, we certainly wish you well, and you. Uh, everyone within a Just Cause, everyone within the Just Cause Radio. Uh, a lot of love there for you. Thank you. Cliff? Thank you. Yeah, and I would like to say, I mean, um, no one has fought harder than you have, Ethel, for uh, for the IRP6, uh, and I'm sure that all of them would make that same statement. Um, I am, uh, I mean, words cannot say how appreciative I am for what you've done. I mean, my brother, Clint, is one of the IRP6 um, the rest of them, I've been known forever. Gary Walker and David Banks are my brother-in-laws. Kim Barnes was my college roommate. Demetrius Harper I went to high school with, and I've been known Dave Zerpolo for over 20 years. These, all of these men are my brothers. And I know every time, every Saturday when we go to see them, uh, they would echo the same thing, that they know that no one has fought harder for them than you have, and that everything that you've done is appreciated and um, there are times in life that you have to say, look, I, uh, you know, I, I have to take a step back because mm-hmm. it affects different people differently. Right. And, and I mean, the service that you gave in the military, the service that you gave to, uh, military veterans, you know, when you got out and, uh, were a civil servant mm-hmm. and then to quit your full-time job after 25 years to say, you know, I'm going to take an early retirement. Right. And go on full time with a just cause because 
I want to fight for the wrongfully convicted. I want to fight against judicial injustice. And then they keep running into it. I mean, every week here, the articles that we see, the people that we have on the air, the, the guests, the you know, the the uh, the the wrongfully convicted or exoneree moment. You hear these things and it is frustrating. It is infuriating. Uh, you know, you and I, uh, as well as others in a just cause, have tramped through the through the halls of what is supposed to be justice yes, in Washington, yes. D.C. And you go in these buildings and you say these are the people who can, um, you know, who can make a change, who may be able to say, hey, we can do something to 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 ensure that the the wrongfully convicted get a fair shake and nobody's asking for any favors right all we're saying is hey look at the evidence apply the law across yes. the board and if somebody is innocent they're innocent how do you have so many people calling these men innocent but then you let a judge and a and a prosecutor you let these people do the things that they've done i mean it, and then when we go to Department of Justice, we say, hey, we need to talk to someone in, a, in Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And trying to even get through the door is like going into Fort Knox. Yeah. You don't get in. They say, well, you need an appointment before you can get in. Then you call for an appointment. They say, well, where are you from and, and who are you trying to see? What is it about? They do everything that they can to keep you from getting into the building where supposedly this is where you can get an answer for what's going on. And like you said, I mean, we need more than the Department of Justice. We need the Department of Injustice, the department that says if there's an injustice that's happened to you as an American citizen, we are the ones who fight to ensure that your rights are upheld. And uh, I just want to, you know, finish off by saying how much we appreciate you, how much, um, you know, we've enjoyed the, the different flavor that you add to the show <laughs> and um you know the things that you do for a just cause and Thank we you. we know that you'll uh that you'll you'll continue to excel and you know uh always know that the the day that you decide that um that you know you're ready we we're all here for you Thank we you. promise you that i appreciate it mr Thank banks you. lamont um, I'd like to say to you, uh, I consider you a fellow comrade in war. Uh, that's kind of how I, I see you. And uh, I say all the time, you don't leave your comrade in harm's way. Uh, I remember uh, recently uh, walking those steps, strapping our boots on and uh, uh, fighting for justice uh, for these men. I, I count myself privileged and honored to have got in the, in the warfare with you. Thank you. Uh, it means a great deal to me. And uh uh, I don't think I don't think there's none probably with more passion uh, than what I've seen and observed with you. And it was a privilege uh, to to speak to these folks that we've talked to and, and to uh, share in, in a, a bond of, of uh, uh, complete, uh, I'd say, camaraderie. I mean, I think we've done that. Yeah. And uh, uh, you're a great person and I appreciate you sincerely and uh, those things that we shared together in those meetings and we talked about and we pressed and we fought and we battled, uh, those will never leave me to my last breath. Right. And it, it was a privilege, and I, I really appreciate you a great deal. Lisa. Yeah, I just wanted to say to Ethel that um, no one could ever fill your shoes in this show because you have done so many tremendous things. I know my brother David Banks, one of the IRP6, is – will be forever in your debt for all the hard work that you've put in and, and all that you've done to, to help them every way that you can Thank and you. how you sacrificed your life 
for for this cause. Mm-hmm. And I'll be here and do everything that I can to be a, to be a help. But I just want you to know how greatly you're going to be missed. Yeah. And we look forward to the day when when you can come back and be with us again. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. And if I could just yeah, go add ahead, one, one other thing, you know, injustice is injustice. It doesn't matter who who is done to or where it comes from. It doesn't matter. Injustice is not black and it's not white. Injustice is injustice. It's wrong. Okay. It is just wrong. And I just want to, to just make a plea to Attorney General Eric Holder. I I have been calling his office, your office, for over two years now on a daily basis, speaking with Annie Bradley, your confidential assistant there, speaking with other people that they that they uh, uh, put there to to block us from 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 reaching from reaching you or from reaching Annie. But I am asking you, Attorney General Eric Holder, please. Just like you came out and you took a stand in the Mike Brown case, please, you've got six families, basically, that are in prison here in Colorado. We're talking about veteran families, veteran families who came together to continue to do something good for this country, only stabbed in the back, only to be to be lied upon only to be put in prison for something good that they were trying to do to help this country. I ask you, I beg you, Attorney General Eric Holder, take a look at this case with the wrongfully convicted IRP6 sitting in Florence, Colorado. These men were put in prison for no, as you put it, no good law enforcement reason. No law enforcement reason, whether good or bad. These men have been veterans. They have served this military, the, the United States military. Their fathers have been in the United States military. What is the problem? Why can't you look at this thing? And as I stated before, with this ISIS thing coming up right now, talking about sleeper cells being in the U.S., you need the software that these men have. And if you don't take it, may whatever happens land in the lap of those who prevented it. I ask you once again, please, take a look at this thing. Take a look at this case and take a look at the software, Silk, that these men have developed to help prevent another terrorist attack or another 9-11 on the United States of America. Right. So, Upper Lopez, this is for you. Give us that sign off. Give us that good night, y'all. Good night, y'all. Thanks, Ethel. All right. Um, so we're going to go to a quick break. And, uh, you know, Ethel, we, we wish you well. And as all of us said, you know, the, the, the fight continues, and we know that you are staying in the, in the fight. Absolutely. And we appreciate everything that you have done, all the things that we know that you're going to continue in the fight 
as you um, as as you move forward. Thank you. Okay, when we come back, uh, we're going to jump into talking a little bit about what's in the news, and then we'll shift over and, and go to our subject of the evening as far as uh, who profits from the prisons. Uh, don't go anywhere. Our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. I'm Sam Thurman on behalf of Ethel Lopez, Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, and Lamont Banks. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll be right back. Join a Just Cause in the fight against wrongful convictions, judicial injustice, misconduct, and corruption. Contact us at 855-529-4252 or at www.a-justcause.com. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. Solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Each week, A Just Cause Coast to Coast shares compelling stories about judicial injustice. But AJC doesn't leave it there. AJC Radio presents top guests from across the country who are advocates, activists, attorneys, and judges who provide insight into current events and the law. If you believe in what AJC is doing, we ask that you make a donation of any amount. Your kindness will be greatly appreciated. Go to www.a-justcause.com and click on the Donate button. Again, please go to www.a-justcause.com and click on the Donate button. Victims are chalk outlines. Victims don't just hang out in the bad part of town. Victims aren't asking for it. Victims shouldn't have known better. We are mothers, daughters, neighbors. We are brothers, corporate citizens, business owners, homeowners, robbed, sexually assaulted, attacked, workplace violence, assaulted. I didn't think I didn't think it would happen. I didn't think it would happen to me. I didn't think it could happen to me. Anyone can become a victim when criminals are still on the streets, but we can all make a difference. Let's make our communities safer. Let's look out for each other. Let's be vigilant. Let's report suspicious activities. Criminals are still out there. What you know could stop a criminal from turning an innocent person into a victim. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like you. This Crime Stoppers reenactment is brought to you with financial assistance from the Department of Canada. 
The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Cliff Stewart and our special contributing analyst, Lamont Banks, exoneree Lamont Banks, and our new co-host, Lisa Stewart. How you doing, Lisa? Doing pretty good, Sam. How are you? Doing great. And uh, our phone number for our listeners is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976, if you have a question or a comment. Uh, I'd like to chime in as we talk about the IRP6 uh, story or when we shift gears and start talking about some of the other subject matter. Please feel free to jump in there. We always appreciate uh, our callers calling in. Uh, uh, Cliff, let's talk just a little bit about the IRP6. You know, we all often uh, talk about the IRP6 being Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper, Mm -hmm. and how a just cause uh, was started as a result of them. But, you know, let's look at the, the, uh, how, how their case went, and that's one of the things why we push so hard is because of the fact that, you know, you got six IT professionals here, started an IT company developing software for law enforcement. The company was rated in 2005 under, you know, a real very weak uh, accusation of, you know, purportedly developing software. Get rated in 2005 get indicted after two grand juries, and, uh, and, and, and then go to trial in 2011. There are a lot of players involved in this thing who did not step up to the plate and uh, execute the, the duties of their office in a manner that's respectable of, uh, of, of what you would think would equate to justice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we start at the top of this thing, we have to look at U.S. Attorney um, John Walsh in Denver, Colorado. And when we look at his position in this whole thing, I mean, the, the IRP6 presented him with a proffer. When the, when the charges first came down, the indictment, they said, look, we, will, we, we present this proffer to the U.S. Attorney, John Walsh, and they, they laid it out to him that if there's any lies in here, anything in here where we're making any type of misrepresentation on what we did, that we will accept all of the charges and won't even won't even go to trial. If you find one lie in here, uh, we'll just accept it and say, okay, we'll go. That's how that's how confident that they were with the information that they sent, and that's how confident that they were at that time that he would hear what they have to say. And it goes back to the the disillusion of the American people, um, you know, of several things that that Ethel was just speaking about. It the the fact that the American people think that the justice system is going to give you a fair trial, that if you put the, your, the evidence of your innocence, that everybody will see and that it will be handled accordingly. First off, you're supposed to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. Absolutely. But, I mean, that's been thrown out the water a long, long time ago. But they present this to Attorney General John Walsh of Colorado, and what he comes back with 
is saying, okay, well, if you present this, I still, which, oh, it just, it speaks to his corruption. Because he comes back and say, okay, well, I still want you to take a plea deal of a conspiracy. It's about wins and right. losses. It, that's all it's about. It's like I have a 97% conviction rate. It's not all, about justice. Right. My cons- conviction rate is off of these plea deals. The other 2% that brings them to their 99% is that when they go to trial, they ensure that the, that the course of the trial is bent that you are convicted. So they take this to him, and he says, well, plead guilty to conspiracy, and I'll accept that. One charge of conspiracy. So what that tells us is that he found when he looked at the evidence in their proffer that, hey, you know, these guys are really innocent. There's nothing here that shows guilt. So he was, But instead of him standing up and doing what he should do from his oath of office and the promises that he made when he stood in front of the country, when he was, when he was appointed that, you know, I'll uphold justice, what he wanted to uphold was his conviction rate for, for Denver, Colorado, as a U.S. attorney. And it's, it's disgusting because what he did trickles down to everyone else in his office, to yep. all his assistant yep. U.S. attorney, including Matthew Kirsch, yep. who presided over the case. And then it also shows that his cohort, uh, Judge Christine Arguello, has the same outlook, the, the, the same, you know, their goal And even as a judge, the goal is if you bring somebody to my courtroom, the goal is to convict them, to to ensure that the justice system that that uh, that is in place, that it has this 99 percent conviction rate. So all the way from the top. And, you know, Cliff, one of the things, too, even with that proffer and uh, and to show how much of a setup this was, uh, you know, often people will ask, well, why did the IRP-6 go pro se? Mm-hmm. And this is a situation where the IRP-6 actually asked, uh, you know, their attorneys at the time. They had uh, uh, court-appointed attorneys. Right. And, you know, we don't uh, got, got to stick with, with our with our uh, comment that we will make from time to time. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. because there are some good uh, 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 court-appointed attorneys out there, some right. great ones out there. But in this situation... The court-appointed attorneys refused to go with the IRP-6 to see Mr. Walsh. Yes. I mean, uh, Walsh said, look, I will sit down and talk with you if you bring your attorneys in. Yeah. And, and, and how does your attorney say, I'm not – I mean, they, they came to a meeting and all the attorneys were on one, one side, side of the table, table and IRP-6 were on another. So it was like they had already come to an agreement – among themselves that we're not going to do this. And they told them, we're not going in to see Walsh with you. Of course, at that point, it's like, you guys don't have our best interests no. at heart. You haven't even gone through discovery. No discovery. You haven't checked on anything. You don't know any of the facts of our case. Yep. And now when the, when the U.S. attorney for the state is saying, yes, uh, I'll, come, I'll sit down with you, and, and again, with the caveat that, you know, hey, my, my end goal is to get you to plea on a conspiracy charge. And the IRP-6 were saying, well, if we come in, we can talk to you and show you that there's no reason for us to even plead there. There's, there's nothing that says we're guilty. The attorneys would not even go in with them to sit with Walsh. Told them under uh, no circumstances would they go and sit and uh, have a discussion with the, with the U.S. attorney to, to deal with their case. So you, you look at from the U.S. attorney's office to the, the judge's office to the court-appointed attorney's, to the court reporter, to the clerks of the court, it's, it's, this sickness goes across the yep, whole yep. spectrum 
of the justice system. It's like, where is the justice? That's why I say, you know, we need an injustice system that exposes all this, that every time there's an injustice that is an injustice accusation brought against the system, we need a different system that basically oversees and, and, uh, and, and criticizes and investigates what they're doing as a, uh, as a system. Well, and, and this is a classic situation where um, it's so blatant because the system was not allowed to work. Right. You know, if, if you wanted to put together a, a, a case study for uh, how things should or shouldn't work, the way this thing started off, obviously, with the raid, with the FBI coming in and the way they uh, had uh, uh, FBI Special Agent John Smith had already done uh, interviews and all this kind of stuff, people were saying that IRP is real, IRP is making uh, or is developing real software, the software being the case investigative lifecycle software, which was developed by Gary Walker. Uh, you had retired federal agents working in the IRP facility who even uh, corroborated the story and said, no, all of this is real. This, That's this, right. It's not smoke and mirrors. There is no scam here. You have uh, Judge H. Lee Sarakin, who uh, chimed in with his four-part series on Huffington Post. And he even said that, you know, this is, uh, you know, someone would have to be, in, in so many words, someone would have to be bucking to be on uh, the, the, the world's dumbest criminals. Exactly. To try and pull off a scam and have federal agents working in your building. Now, I say the system was not allowed to work because even when Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, when they had the first grand jury, and uh, David Sapolo took some information into that grand jury and said, hey, here, here's a binder full of all the information about this company, and here's what the company was about. And that grand jury came back and said, hey, there's nothing, no wrongdoing going on here. This is a debt collection case. Why are we listening to it? They did not indict. That should have been the end of it. There were uh, several witnesses that were called, and then uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch calls a second grand jury, calls one witness, FBI uh, agent John Mo uh, Robert Moen, and you know, as you've heard uh, over and over through the news, and especially in the last few weeks or in the last couple of weeks, in references to the Michael Brown uh, uh, case. Uh, that, they, that you can indict a ham sandwich if you want to. Yeah, exactly. And and what is uh, you know what is so sickening about uh, the the situation, especially with the two grand juries, is that when these things were brought up as issues, to you you think like okay, well if we bring it up that if a first grand jury didn't indict, then how is it that Kirsch went after a, a second grand jury? When you bring this up with his office, then they don't have any comment on, well, you know, there's an indictment, so obviously there had to be some crime committed. When you bring things up to the judge that, hey, the, uh, John Smith already knew that the software was real, and he makes the comment purported. in court. I mean, he makes the comment that it's purported oh, yeah. software, but then he says, yeah, if the bills had been paid, if there was no debt, then this wouldn't even be in court. How do statements like that go forward? And a judge say, okay, wait, wait, if you're you're telling me, that at this point, you just admitted that this is a debt case. Debt is not a crime. The uh, Judge yep. Argoyle should have thrown it out right there. Yep. Like, you, you just said that if there was no debt, we wouldn't be in trial. So then why exactly are we here? Why is there a jury sitting in the jury box? Why did you impanel two grand juries? All of these things that, that – and, and these are things that, um, that Judge Sarakin called out 
when he wrote his blogs in the Huffington Post, and he also, uh, you know, just came out and made the statement that after he went over everything that we gave him, after he saw all the uh, all the court documentation, he just said these men are innocent. Yeah. Somebody, this is a witch hunt. They're just wanting to to um, you know to convict somebody. And to add to the oh, you want to jump in there, Lisa? Yeah, I did. I think the problem our, our the whole grand jury system is broken. There should not, I mean, granted, now Matt Kirsch, legally, he has the right to call 10 grand juries if he so chooses to until he gets a conviction, but how, or until he gets an indictment, I'm sorry, but how is it that he's allowed to call all these grand juries, as many as he wants, without presenting both sides? You shouldn't be able to bring down an indictment on anybody without the, the grand jury hearing both sides of the story. There's always two sides. If you show something one-sided, it's very easy to convince somebody. That's why they say they can, they can indict a ham sandwich. That's right. Because they don't have to prove anything. They don't have to show anything. I just have to, uh, I can bring in one witness, tell you, tell, let them tell you whatever, they, whatever I want them to tell you, and that's the end of it, and I get my indictment. And if that's the only information that you have to go on, exactly. what are you going to do? Exactly. If someone comes to you and says that this wall is yellow, and that's all, you that's all, that's all that's, yeah, yeah, and you can't see the wall. Then, you then you're going to say, well, based off of what that person said, yeah, it, it, it's yellow. Like you say, but you don't know it's blue. The yeah. wall behind me is really blue because I'm not showing that to you. I got, right, I got, you the I got the curtain up here that, uh, like the Wizard of Oz, it's like, what's behind the curtain? You yeah, know, they right. don't let you see what's behind the curtain. And then, uh, you know, also like you were saying, Cliff, as far as the the witch hunt thing, uh, it's like, and and you know, the 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 adage, you know, you can't make this stuff up, comes into play from the standpoint of the Fifth Amendment violation. And the, uh, you know, we talk about the over 200 pages of transcript that Judge Arguello in open court had a, had a conversation with a court reporter, Darlene Martinez, when the guys had a sidebar conference after uh, or when Judge Arguello made them take the witness stand. Mm-hmm. And in, in doing that, violated their Fifth Amendment. And the guys, you know, asked for the transcript so that they could have it, so that they could argue for dismissal. Judge Arguello asked Darlene Martinez, so how many pages of transcript are we talking about that the, that the defendants are requesting? Darlene Martinez says, over 200. Judge Arguello says, well, I don't see any, good, uh, I don't see any reason for, for, uh, that that would serve at this time, and I'm not going to expedite the request. And to this day, the over 200 pages of transcript still has not showed up. Now, you know, it's our understanding that over 200 pages of transcript could equate to an entire day. Right. So, yes. They have provided some portion of transcript from that day, yes. but the key portion that we're talking about is that sidebar conference, which still, it will prove the fact that Judge Arguello made them take the stand and violated their Fifth Amendment right. Absolutely. Those and, are the counts. And, and, and that is when we make this issue about the missing transcript, our issue is that embedded in that 200 pages is this sidebar. Yep. Where Judge Arguello said one of you are going to have to take the stand. So that's why we say that as many people as, as, as can go out to change.org, do that search on IRP6 and sign that petition that we're pushing to, uh, to DOJ Attorney General Eric Holder saying, hey, do, do an investigation, some type of inquiry on where is this sidebar where these defendants are saying this judge made this fifth amendment violation it needs to come forward because how do you have a judge in place that can that can do this that can violate the constitution 
and is not held accountable, all that does is say, okay, the next time you can do it again because there's no, there's not going to be any repercussions. And uh, listeners, you can go out to freetheirp6.org, freetheirp6.org. There are, are there's court documents out there. There are uh, motions out there. There's information about the IRP6. Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper. There's information out there about IRP solutions. There's information out there about the case investigative lifecycle software that Gary developed that is so sorely needed yeah. by law enforcement, especially as we're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11, where Gary Walker, he made the comment uh, on, a, on one of the sales trips to New York. Uh, and we were staying in the hotel across the street from Ground Zero, and he was looking out and, and looking at the big hole in the ground at that time. That was before there was a memorial there. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I'm developing the software. This is why IRP Solutions is doing what it's doing so that that type of event never, ever happens again to the United States. And so, you know, this software will help them, uh, you know, when we talk about sleeper cells and all that kind of stuff. It'll help them to track yes, people exactly. and, and, and stay on top of this thing so that this type of tragedy doesn't happen again in the United States. Uh, if you'd like more information about a Just Cause, go to a-justcause.com. Our phone number, 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some of the other things that are in the news. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our children are literally eating themselves to death. Many experts predict that this may be the first generation of children that doesn't live as long as their parents because of the problem of obesity. A quarter of American children don't exercise regularly. The average school-aged child watches four to six hours of TV every day, bombarded by commercials for fast food and junk. How you make these kinds of lifestyle changes in your kids is to make them yourself. Make the effort. Fight childhood obesity. A message from the Government of Canada.
So at this time, we ask that you donate based on your belief in the cause. Please consult your tax advisor for tax questions. We value you as a loyal listener and will continue to bring you programming that provides education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Thank you for your consideration. Talk, news, politics, and inspiration. Just Cause, Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and our special contributing analyst, Exoneree Lamont Banks. Uh, so, uh, you know, Cliff, as we're going into that break and just talking about the IRP6, and, uh, you know, all those kind of things just mount up. And it's those kinds of things that, uh, you know, we have to continue to put out there, have to continue to... to um, make people aware of it because you know people don't know the types of things that happen in cases like this right and then they don't know what recourse they have yeah and they don't most of the general public don't understand that the uh the department of justice is not there for your justice they are there basically to convict you if you if you end up behind their gates if you end up in their database they're looking to convict you. If someone makes an accusation against you, um, if the FBI does an investigation on you, the Department of Justice is not to ensure that your rights are upheld. The Department of Justice is about making sure that you get convicted for what you were accused of. And that's why, you know, it's like if you get a if you get indicted, your your chances you that there's a 99 percent conviction rate. One percent of the people who go to uh, who go to trial with the federal government win. The other ninety nine percent, you're you're just done. So the public needs to understand the Department of Justice is not about protecting you from the federal government. It's about making sure that the federal government's position is upheld. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that's uh, um, when you look at. And, and one of the subjects we were going to talk about tonight is is who profits, you yes. know, from uh, the prison business. Uh, and, is, you know, there's an article that says, you know, who's getting rich off the prison industrial complex. Right. And, and, there's, and there's a, there's a whole, whole lot of money. There are so many people that are getting rich off the uh, off of the prison industrial complex. And they call out the, you know, two of the largest um, uh, investors in the in the uh, prison industry. And they pulled this from NASDAQ data. This was from last year. We want to make sure everybody knows that. So there probably are more profits this year. But this was May last year. This article came out. And they said, uh, based on NASDAQ's data, that these two investors, um, that there's a long list of investors in the Corrections Corporation of America and the GEO Group or GEO Group. And they're the two biggest corporations that operate detention centers in the USA, that's right. You, you, this is this is what this is what you're hearing that the U.S. Uh, the United States prison complexes 
they're not run by the United States government. Be clear on these. They're run by corporations, by privately owned corporations that are and all corporations in America are looking for a profit. They're looking to make money. And the Corrections Corporation of America and the GEO Group are the two biggest. That's just two of the biggest. And they, they call out to uh, a few of the in individuals. One is uh, Henry Waddell. And they said that he owns more than 650,000 shares in the, uh, in the CCA, the Corrections Corporation of America. He is uh, serving on the board of directors. He owns more than 650,000 shares. His shares are worth $25 million. They also state that uh, George Zoli is another one. Zoli made nearly $6 million last year through his salaries and bonus, but his real money is in the stocks. Now, he owns more than 500,000 shares in the GEO Group. He's made $23 million in stock trades during one 18-month period. Who has that kind of return? In a year and a half, you made $23 million in selling stock. If all of us could get on that, the whole nation would be, would be millionaires. $23 million in 18 months. And the thing, the GEO Group saw a 56% spike in profits in the first quarter of 2013. What company has a 56% spike in profits. And I can see if you come up with a new product, you come up with some new technology, but you're talking about a company that is in the business of locking people up. So what that tells you is that there has been a great increase in the amount of people that they're putting in these prison complexes so that they can get their profits. And this, this is what they said, that the company's executives reassured investors that the incarceration rate wouldn't be dropping any time soon when they announce these earnings. How do you know that the incarceration rate won't be ending? How do you know that it's going to keep increasing? How do you know that, hey, more people are going to go to jail. We're going to fill these beds. How do you know unless you have a mechanism in place That's that right. ensures that you're getting people incarcerated? Then they said the, uh, that there you have Jeremy Mendich and Matt Sirovic, if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, then, you know, I'm sorry. But, but they, run, they run Scopia Capital, which is a hedge fund that's one of the largest shareholders of GEO Group. The fund owns about $300 million in shares in GEO, and they said their fund outperformed the market by 20 percentage points, and the state of New Jersey hired them to manage $150 million worth of of uh, pensions. How do you outperform the the rest of NASDAQ by 20%? Wow. As a hedge fund, it's like, yeah, like uh, y'all got something on your books that the rest of the world don't know. And, the, and the, this article says, though the U.S. prison population is shrinking slightly, the number of inmates in federal lockup is, is uh, increasing. This one is what got me. They have the Vanguard Group and Fidelity Investments. Those are America's top two 401k uh, providers. Together, they own about 20 percent of both CCA and GEO. So that means that if you have a 401k plan, there's a good chance you benefit financially from private prisons. Uh, prisons. That was surprising to me that these, these corporations are so embedded, the prison complex is so embedded into society 
that your 401k plan, it's embedded in there that you're putting money into it. So they're like, well, hey, the public, the, the, the public wants more people incarcerated because it gets them profits when people don't even know that that's part of, of their hedge fund. It says, according to NASDAQ, the retirement funds for public employees and teachers in New York, California, Texas, Kentucky, Florida, Ohio, Arizona, and Colorado are part of these uh, part of these hedge funds. So it's not, and it's not just Americans who have ties to these prisons. Even foreign investors have money in them as well, including the pension fund for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which cashed out 5.1 million worth of geo. Uh, group stock last year. And, you know, Cliff, uh, you, we talked about this uh, a little while back, and, you know, uh, some of those contracts are actually written in such a manner that the company, yes. uh, CCA or GEO, can actually hold, uh, can, can penalize yes. a city or a state or a county, you mm-hmm. know, wherever they're managing a particular uh, uh, facility, they can, they can uh, penalize them for not right. having enough beds yeah, filled because they they actually sued one state prison say hey you are not you're not you, you promised us you would provide a certain amount of inmates you're not doing that we're suing you how, how is that how how does that happen in america that you're supposed to have more people incarcerated you're supposed to we we need more beds filled in these uh in these prisons to to and to keep our basically our service level agreement intact that we have with the state. And isn't it crazy that that you can legislate or write in a contract something that where people can profit from uh, from uh, locking people up right. and, and putting them in prison, but you can't uh, hold a prosecutor accountable right. when he hold- when he violates the law. How, how can he get you know blanket immunity? When he, and he can stand up and say, "Oh yeah, I, I, I knew I railroaded that person." Right, and nothing happens, but it's because it's because of the money. These these uh, corporations have so much money that they're saying, "Hey, we're ensuring through legislature that the uh, the prosecutors have blanket immunity because even if they break the law and get you incarcerated, it can still take you twenty years to get out." I mean, we saw uh, people. I think our first exoneree was like thirty eight years that he waited before he got out of prison. So they make a profit for 38 years and in the end say, okay, well, he gets out and nothing happens to you. So it, it, what it does is tells the prosecutor, go ahead and get him convicted, keep your 99% conviction rate, and we stand behind you. And, and something is wrong with that. Oh, something is absolutely something wrong. Something is wrong. And, you know, one of the other things that, that as we look at this, and, and let me throw this in, in here real quick, you know, we were expecting to have Byron Price uh, professor of public administration at Medgar Evers College uh, to join us tonight to talk about this, uh, and uh, he got actually uh, his scheduler uh, scheduled him for a class uh, to teach tonight, and so he he sends his uh, 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 apologies that he was not going to be able to join. But there is enough information right. on this. That's why we were just going to uh, uh, go on and, and, and continue on because of the fact that this subject is is so twisted. And, and even when you look at, uh, you know, the lobbying that goes on with this, it, it's crazy how much money is going into the hands of the legislators on behalf of, uh, of, of, of private prisons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I look at some information about the GEO Group, uh, between 2003 and 2012, 
they contributed something to the tune of $3.2 million to different, uh, you know, campaigns or, 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 or the various parties, whether it be the Democratic Party, uh, the, Republic, the Democrat Party, the Republican Party, and then there's some other, you know, uh, uh, third-party uh, uh, groups in there as well that they contributed to. Mm-hmm. But this thing, I mean, the money trail, you know, they talk right. about in crime, you know, follow yeah. the money. Well, follow the money. The money says that they're buying a higher incarceration. That's what that statement We're buying incarceration rate by lobbying in Washington and uh, ensuring that what we're doing is that there's no legislature that comes against it to ensure that they continue the profit. It's sickening. When we come back from this break, uh, our special contributing analyst, uh, Exonerate Lamont Banks, is going to chime in on this subject. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number is 347-838-8976. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I always wanted to be a police officer, and there's a strong sense of pride in being a police officer. Just to stop people from the heck of it. Not logical. We no more want to accuse someone or charge somebody with a crime that they didn't do any more than they want to be charged with it. So uh, we take that responsibility, especially with sexual assaults, very seriously. Very. I think my greatest fear. One of the greatest fears that many investigators experience is the wrong person. As police officers, one of the things that we're always very concerned about is uh, the potential that we have for putting an innocent person into jail if we do not do our job job properly. And for us, know that we did our job job properly and that justice is being being done properly. Listening to AJC Radio, call in at 347-838-8976 and share your stories and comments about judicial injustice. Be a part of the AJC Radio Show every Tuesday and Thursday night, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. The number again, 347-838-8976 or www.blogtalkradio.com and search for A Just Cause Coast to Coast. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16. Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, hope, my child took his own life. 
and then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. voice. Now we have power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can make it. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are a family member of a child of a who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. You are listening to The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number is 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976. So, you know, Lisa Lamont, Cliff, uh, we see in the news and we hear these uh, horrid stories of, you know, maggots in food and, and you know, uh, like you were saying, Cliff, the things that they that corporations will do to I mean, how how did you get a twenty percent profit, uh, and and you or you're beating Wall Street like that? Yeah, I mean, that, obviously you're doing something to to hedge uh, uh, your your uh, ability to to get that profit. So I mean, you know, when it comes to you know uh, food and 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 things being expired, I mean, we're hearing all kinds of stuff. I mean, Lisa, we were talking during the break, and you were bringing up uh, some some things that you heard. Yeah, I'm just trying to get somebody to make me understand how it is that these people are making all this money. We have all this profit being made by people who are uh, uh, a part of the CCA, and yet the prisoners are being treated like garbage. I talked to Dave Zerpolo, one of the IRP6, earlier today, and he told me that he had a cupcake for breakfast that had been expired for two years. And I'm trying to understand this is a grown man. These are grown men in prison who you're feeding a cupcake for breakfast, and not a good cupcake, but an old expired, expired tired cupcake. cupcake. And it's all, about, it's all about the profit. They say if we, can, we already make profit, but if we can make more profit by not giving them proper food, not giving them proper medical care, uh, you know, when it's, when it's hot in summer, not running the air conditioner. When it's cold in winter, not running the heater. I mean, anything that they can do is, is sick. The greed is sickening because they continue to say they're making, they're, they want to make more and more money. They're beating Wall Street by 20%, which is unheard of. That's totally ridiculous. But they continue to want to make more and more money. Well, here's the problem, I think. Uh, as I'm looking at these statistics here. Uh, it states who is investing in these prisons. This is at least 37 states have legalized the contracting of prison labor by private corporations that mount their operations inside state prisons. Uh, list of such companies. Uh, these are these are big companies that uh, are very huge that affect the economy in a, in a big way in the United States. You've got IBM, Boeing, Motorola, Microsoft, AT&T, Wireless, Texas Instruments, Dell, Compaq, Honeywell. Uh, 
you're talking about major companies. So here's what you have. Uh, a lot of these people are involved in the politics of this country. Uh, these, they have special interest groups that do to make sure their interests are, are kept in a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a positive way. So if you're talking about these companies, Nordstrom's, Revlon, Macy's, Pierre Cardin, Target, I mean, these, it says here that just between 1980 and 1994, profits went up from $392 million to $1.31 billion. That is uncomprehendable. So we ask ourselves the question, why is the problem so embedded in this? Why is the system embeddedly corrupt? Mm-hmm. You're talking about pillars of the financial institution of the United States. Yeah, of, of the whole capitalist machine of the United States. Absolutely. When you're, talking about, you're talking about department stores. You're talking about cosmetics. I mean, if you can get something to market to women, I mean, you'll be a trillionaire by next year. <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So, so you're talking about Revlon? Revlon. It, it's like, it's like they, these companies are the ones that just, they make America what it is from a capitalist standpoint. If, and if they're the ones saying, we want to deal with the. We want to have the lobbyists to bring them, to ensure there's no legislation that comes against us. They got the money to do it. And I know uh, Lisa was looking at some of the financial institutions. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now, and it's this tell, tell, telling us that there are 36 major private prison investors, and these companies. There are 36 companies. Each one owns over a million shares of CCA and GEO, and this is. I mean, that's over two thirds of. CCA and GEO combined. The, some of these companies, we have Ameriprise Financial, we have Bank of America, we have Barclays Global Investors, we have Eagle Asset Management, we have Goldman Sachs Group, we have ING Investment Management, we have Invesco, J.P. Morgan Chase. That's my bank. I need to change. <laughs> uh, we have we have the London Company of Virginia. We have Morgan Stanley. I mean, I'm just naming a few of these. We've got Vanguard, Cor- Vanguard Group Incorporated, Wells Fargo and Company. All these people are, in, are having all these shares of CCA and GEO making money off of locking people up. And, Lisa, if I can add to that really quickly, uh, and I talk from personal experience here, uh, being wrongfully incarcerated and uh, spending six and a half to seven years in state prison here in Colorado for a crime I didn't commit, they got to the point at Buena Vista Prison here in Colorado that they used to make diabetic trays for those that had diabetes. So they, had, they were specially prepared meals. Uh, a friend of mine who is now getting ready to parole um, out of the system t- uh, sent me a letter and said, you need to know this, uh, Lamont. They have now taken the diabetic meals off of the menu, and they have said you will eat whatever's in front of you, and you will try to make that work within your diabetes disease. That's what? That is absolutely. And there's a sign posted in the chow hall, as they call it, uh, that says, if you're a diabetic, get a regular tray. Not knowing now, uh, and living with diabetes, uh, that's suicide. Yeah. How so do you know what? If you die, so be it. Just eat what so you got. It. Because how do you know? It. How do they expect a person with diabetes that has to watch their diet? How do they expect them to come to a conclusion what they put in the food? They don't just, care. Just get a regular tray. That tray is from most likely just laden with carbohydrates, it, which, which is going to spike your blood sugar yep. and drive it through the roof. And what are you supposed to do? And he called because he's diabetic, and uh, I shared with him what happened to me as a result of being locked up and becoming diabetic upon my release. Uh, and all, basically almost dying, actually, uh, oh, as a yeah. result of 
that situation, and then they have gone a step further now uh, to say, well, we're not providing for diabetics no more. This is something that has to change. This is inhumane. It is human cruelty, and it is a violation of federal law, period. Now, now check this out. Now, you know, uh, Aramark is one of the largest uh, mm-hmm. catering companies in the country. Right. They are a catering giant, and they have some of these types of contracts. And, uh, and uh, in, in the state of Ohio, they have a contract, and their budget calls for them to uh, basically a lot for $3.61 per prisoner per day, what? not per meal. Come again? $3.61 per prisoner per day. Not per meal. Now you know unless they get the food from you know getting off of the off of the value menu at McDonald's, uh, <laughs> that ain't possible. But even the dollar menu that would get you uh, that would get you uh, a uh, a hamburger, you know, uh, 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 egg McMuffin for breakfast, a hamburger for lunch, and some fries for dinner. A uh, grown man is, that is not enough to sustain a grown man. And then that's I mean. Three dollars and something all Three day. Three dollars and sixty-one cents per day. Wow! Uh, and if if our research team can find, you know, look up some of those contracts for some of the other states, because when I saw that, and and then on top of it, they just got hit uh, with some fines, you know, for for serving uh, uh, food that had maggots in it. And and I mean, you know, when you hear me say, hey, that got hit with some fines. One hundred and forty-two thousand dollars. No, yeah, what? That's going to do nothing. That's going to do absolutely. That's that's not even a slap on the wrist. So, what does that do to make them fix the the, the problem? Not nothing. 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 All they do is say, "Well, we'll pay that fine because our uh, our parent company is going to insure." I mean, we we pay a hundred thousand dollars, but we make three hundred fifty million. I mean, that that that's sick. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And then when you look at the the uh, statistics as far as, you know, who is being locked up and we already know that uh, as far as the African-Americans are concerned, that uh, the the, sta- the statistics are staggering when it comes to, uh, you know, the numbers or the rate per thousand. When you talk about African-Americans, what, one in three mm-hmm. uh, yep. in their lifetime? are going to be locked up, yep. and, and the rates are like, you know, seven times. I, uh, here, uh, I was reading one statistic, and, and ironically, it's put out by the uh, Bureau of uh, uh, Justice Statistics, and it says that an estimated 7.3 of black males ages 30 to 34 were in state or federal prisons uh, during this particular uh, reporting period. And and uh, and it's basically I think between 2000 and 2010, so almost 10 percent of all black men between the ages of 30 and 34 were in some kind of lockup. That is sick. That's that's absurd. And because you're we don't not, even constitute 10 percent of the population. Right, you are not telling me that there are that many 34 to 36 year old black men that are committing crime. No, and, no, I mean it's sick. Well, we got a we got a caller. Uh, on the line. Michelle, you want to make a comment? Yeah. Did you guys tell me, say that there are banks that actually are invested in prisons? I heard that right, didn't I? Yes, yes you did. And, and those Okay, banks, so you're telling me, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
I was going. I was just going to reiterate that it's not just they're invested, but these are the companies that hold over a million shares in these uh, in these uh, corporations. So basically, that means all the crooks that destroyed the economy, millions of people's lives back in 2008, that never went to prison, that never were held accountable and stole millions, if not billions of dollars from, this, from our citizens, are actually got the nerve to own uh, shares and everything in prisons that have IRP6 locked up, that are innocent. We should be screaming from the rooftops in this country. That is so crooked and disgusting, I don't even know what to say. Every American should be pissed off. These crooks are locking up whether they're crooks or not, they got the nerve to lock up somebody. Well, you I'm so disgusted right now. I'm not surprised because if they could destroy our economy and didn't care about the millions of lives that they have affected back in 2008, people are still suffering from 2008, still don't have jobs. And, and, and they do. I'm just I'm so livid right now. We should be standing up as a country and saying, you know what? You're gonna, we're we're going to make them accountable. Absolutely, and that's why. And and thanks for the comment, Michelle. See, that's why we bring this type of information. I mean, this is not things we made up, but it's also things that the general public has no idea of. You can say, well, okay, well, I understand that there are some injustices in the country. I understand that there is a uh, a, a prison industrial complex. I understand that there are some companies that are making profit. But when you read off this sheet and say that these 36 companies, mostly which are financial institutions, have over a million shares in the prison complex, then you realize that, they, that I am pretty much being forced to, uh, to participate in locking up prison people because the whole, the whole, uh, just the, the whole country – the whole corp- all the corporations in the country, from your financial corporations to like what Lamont read off department stores and cosmetic companies, everything that you use every day, these large corporations say, well, they also make their money off investing in the amount of prisoners that are locked up. So you're pretty much forced to be a part of the prison industrial complex. That is why we bring this type of information. That is why we, uh, we ensure that, you know, we do our research and give you the information that you, that you need so that, like Michelle said, that when you are angry, and be angry, absolutely, but let your voice be heard. Uh, get involved. Get involved. Yeah. Sign, sign the petition. Just do what you know to do as a citizen to say, hey, I want to ensure that these type of things are shut down. Talk, news, politics, and inspiration. A Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Let's shift gears. Let's uh, go to the phones, Cliff. We have uh, Kimberly Jenkins Snodgrass, who is part of our profile of the wrongfully convicted this evening. And she's going to talk about her son, uh, KK. And so, uh, Kimberly, how are you doing this evening? Oh, good evening. I'm doing fine. And thank you guys for having me. And thank you for joining us this evening. So uh, tell us about uh, Kevin's uh, story and, uh, and, 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 and the things that you're doing as far as fighting for his innocence. So let's kind of 
bring our listeners up to speed as to how Kevin got into into the situation and a wrongful conviction, and now we're in a situation where, you know, having to fight for his freedom. Okay. Well, in summary, what happened is in 2006, uh, there was an altercation uh, between about six guys, and one of the leaders' name was Jeff Rabinson. Jeff Rabinson is 10 years older than my son, so that means they had no childhood together. They really didn't run together. But Jeff Rabinson, and I will say this, he was a victim because he did not die of natural causes. However, what he did is he got young men together and um, they participated in gang-like activity or ran drugs in the community. And there is nothing urban about this story. We are in the suburbs of Virginia. And my son is is not a follower, so he wouldn't join the gang. He wouldn't run the drugs. And they they made a plot to kill him. And when they made the plot to kill him, they shot up his townhouse, and his roommate was sitting on the couch playing PlayStation, and they shot him in the head and killed him. That was in 2000. In 2006, Jeff Rabinson gets killed, and the police knocks on my son's door and say he committed the crime Four, you know, three years later. Well, okay, so are they, are they trying to get him for Rasmussen's uh, murder, or are they trying to get him for the roommate's murder? No, Rasmussen, they had a trial in 2003. Everybody went to jail. It was like six guys in that fight. Everyone went to jail but Jeff Rasmussen. So they said my son's motive for killing Jeff Rasmussen was that he was um, revenging his roommate's death. He waited three years to revenge the death. Right, right. And so... uh can you tell us about, you know, what did they present as what they're calling evidence against your son? I mean, eyewitnesses, uh, murder weapons? There was, there was no murder weapon. There was no forensic evidence. Um, the, the medical examiner testified that it was three to four feet in shooting. They had two witnesses. Now, the two witnesses allegedly saw this murder. One was my son's pregnant girlfriend who was allegedly supposed to be in the car. But they told her if she didn't testify against him and she was six months pregnant, she was going to go to jail and lose her baby. She was 19 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And then the other girl, basically, they just put the murder charge on her to make her testify. So what they did is made these girls come in weekly to meet with the Commonwealth to work on their testimony. These girls had went to my son's lawyer and told what I believe is the truth. We had no idea that they was going to change their story and these meetings had taken place to post-trial. So there, there's no forensic evidence or anything connecting him to the crime. And see, that's the thing. See, if they go, they go to the attorney for your son and basically saying, "Hey, this is our story. This is what happened. It was not him. 
and then they go to the prosecutor. And that's what we're talking about with this prosecutorial misconduct and them having this blanket immunity because they can get a witness, feed them a line to tell as, you know, this is what happened, this is what you do as your, this is what you say as your testimony, this is what you saw. I mean, they, they, they can fabricate a story and get, and get their, their uh, so-called eyewitness to tell this story. And, right, and but, it gets deeper than that. I'm sorry, it gets deeper than that because in the state of Virginia, there is no statute of limitations. So these girls can never come forward and tell the truth without possibly being up for murder charges as co-defendants. Right, right. Yeah, and, and the prosecutor can get them, tell, tell, what, tell what story I tell you to do even if they change their story from the defense and they threaten them with, if you don't change the way we want you to hear it, we'll bring you up on murder charges. But now, now, right. if they, now if they change their story to say, okay, well, I lied and said he wasn't guilty and but I'm saying he's innocent. Then they'll say, okay, well you committed perjury. So now we're going to get you for perjury. But if you come out and say, well, I lied that he wasn't innocent and he's guilty, they'll take your testimony on that and, and not try to prosecute you at all because it goes to what they want to hear. And that is the type of thing that is sickening that, that they can do that and then get away with it. And the bottom line is you're dealing with people's lives. You're dealing with putting a, locking a person up. And, and how many years did they give your son? Did they give KK? The jury recommended life. The judge adjusted it to 40 years, uh, five years suspended, which made it 35, and then they tacked on another consecutive charge for the gun, the gun, which made it 38 years. And they don't even have the gun. And they don't even have the gun. See, that, that, is, wow. that, is, that is crazy. Like, we, we're gonna... What they say is in order for a murder to happen in a shooting, a gun had to be present. That's right. But but that's like saying, I mean, they can just tack on, okay, well, we want to say child abuse. Where's the kid at? Well, we don't have him, but we know there was some child abuse. But you got to have some evidence of what's going on. That is, and I mean, this is, this is, this is uh, beyond crazy. So, oh, it's so just crazier than that because not only did we experience kangaroo court, I always say I should have hired a lawyer to help me pick a lawyer because mm-hmm. I have never seen anything like this. I, I, I am almost legal gun shy when it comes to lawyers. I have two rulings on uh, uh, ineffective counsel, trial and post-trial. So my son has yet to have a lawyer to lawyer up. Wow. When they make a mistake and you're rid of habeas, it really gets crazy. So now I'm dealing with actual innocence. But what, you know, God is a good God. Let me just say that. Had I not known Joyce Ann Brown, Joyce Ann Brown and I met eight years before this came into my household. If somebody would have told me I was going to take this walk, I would have told you, you crazy. I would have told you, you crazy. But I met Joyce Ann eight years before this happened. And my son was like a freshman in high school or something like that. And, you know, they had a summer reading. And he would always take Joyce Ann Brown books and say that's his summer reading. I used to say, boy, you cannot turn in a report every year on that book. Mm. (laughs) 
And I used to say to Joyce, as this took place, I said, Joyce, I'm a dear, and KK is you. So this is bigger than me and KK. I, I really think because Virginia is virgin territory for wrongful conviction. You think Texas is bad, and Texas is a long ways ahead of Virginia. The guy who um, prosecuted my son has been in office 40 years, 40 years. And when I say uh, kangaroo court, uh, he's passed the black-white thing. He, he just, he's the one who did Muhammad, uh, the D.C. sniper. Mm. So he, he thinks he's God anyway. Virginia has the most uh, death penalty cases. That's why they brought Muhammad to Virginia to prosecute him. And when you talk about how KK doing today, one day my son called me about seven months ago, and he said to me, Ma, guess who over me? Like on the next floor. They said, Malvo. I said, I be, they got my son serving time like the D.C. sniper. Wow. Mm. Mm. So, Kimberly, it is, it is crazy. So, Kimberly, what kind of, uh, you know, I know that you, you've been involved in several efforts as far as bringing awareness about wrongful convictions. So uh, what type of support have you been getting? Uh, you know, have, have folks been coming to, to your uh, aid and uh, in, in support of you as you fight for Kevin? Well, what has happened is I have been hitting the uh, pavement myself. I have paid, and when I say I have paid, bus 401Ks and everything, so you guys know you blew my mind when you talked about the prisons and the private prisons and the 401K. I'm like, wow. But um, uh when it comes to legal assistance, the Innocent Project in my area is reviewing his case, and you have to wait your turn. There's another case in this area in which uh, Paul Ebert has been found with prosecutorial misconduct. They threw the young man death penalty case out, and then the Prince William County came back and recharged the young man. So I believe they're kind of waiting to see how this goes because if they prove their prosecutorial misconduct in that office, that's going to affect other cases. And I ran into this woman, uh, the mother of this young man, uh, Justin Wolf, because when I was following his case, everything, the behavior, everything was the same. So me and her have left. And by the way, she's white. She's a white woman. And we sit and we talk, and, and we just say, not only is the system broken, but it's a malicious system. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I look at the Michael Brown story, I remember saying to myself, I have to be thankful when they arrested him, they didn't kill him. I have to be thankful that he's in prison under the conditions that he is, because they could have killed him. Yeah. That is true. I mean, they uh, they are, um, you know, just taking taking young black men and saying, hey, you know, uh, it, it, putting putting a bullet in you is is better than trying to prosecute you because they feel like they're going to get away with it anyway. And then but, when I heard you guys uh, talk about the statistics, age thirty to thirty six, ten percent during the year of two thousand and twenty ten. 
That's one mm-hmm. of my, that's my son. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Kimberly, those are the kind of things that uh, until people take a uh, take note of those types of uh, statistics and and realize how absurd it is, um, you know, and they won't take action. We were like we were talking earlier in the program and uh, that people need to get involved. Uh, You know, the the men in the communities need to get involved. The uh, the mothers and like yourself, I mean, you know, you, you have to do things that are going to uh, instill in our young people uh, what needs to be done, the way to do it, and the right things to do. And even in that, you still have a system that is going to, uh, I mean, when you have a corrupt system, um, it, it, it people are going to do what they want to do. I mean, when we look at, uh, and if I may uh, uh, kind of, go off on, on a little bit of a tangent, when I look at the case of the IRP-6, and I know you're familiar with it because, you know, you've, you've listened to the program before, but you have six men who, were, who are professionals. Uh, they're IT professionals. They were doing business like anybody else does business. They started a, a company just like anybody else does business. They got in debt like any other startup company gets in debt. Uh, the only difference is that uh, you have a prosecutor uh, in the in the name of, of uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, and then you got an FBI agent, uh, John Smith, who saw fit to go after these men and and go after them uh, in a vindictive manner. And then you got Judge Christine Arguello, who uh, in the courtroom did everything uh, in her power uh, to not uh, ensure that there was a balanced trial that took place. And so, you know, even when you can do the things that you're supposed to do when men are raised in the way they're, that they, you know, that's respectful, the system, uh, and, and I'm not saying everybody in the system is like that because there, there are people in the system that, that do take uh, pride in what they do. But in this situation and, and in the situation of your son, when you see this kind of thing, it's like, you know, people need to get involved. I mean, they cannot just say that um, – uh, that it's it's you know well it's not happening to me and then you have a situation like the uh, u.s attorney in denver john walsh who you know when guys come before him and say hey you know here's what we were doing and we stand by that and then he just turns a blind eye you know uh, and my whole point there kimberly is that you can do all the things that you're supposed to do and then but if you got a corrupt system that's the root of the problem that's the root of the problem, and when you say we need to get involved, you will be amazed at how many people uh, think this will never touch their home. That's true. They think, you know, it's so many in our community, in the African-American community, who believe if I'm at a certain financial level and my kids are doing A, B, C, D, this will never touch my home, and that is not the case. And that That's, that is you know that is not the case. This is past bougie Negro. This is like ignorant black person. Yep. You know right. we, we have. I mean, because even oh. not to cut you off, Kimberly, but uh, even when you have you know you know you have African Americans that say, "Hey, I'm going to ensure I'm I'm going to do everything that I that I can in my power to make sure that my kids, you know, they don't grow up." in the ghetto that I grew up in. They're not going to be subjected 
to what I was subjected to as a kid. I'm going I got a 13-year-old son and and I grew up I grew up in the hood in LA. And 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 I say I'm not going to let him experience what I experienced in the, on the street with police officers. He's never going to have to be in that situation, but just like you say Everything that we can try to do to say, hey, we keep them out of harm's way by not letting them be exposed, you still have the situation. I mean, you've got to deal with the fact that, that, that you know, this, he's black. And the statistics right. say that when he was born, him and two of his friends, one of them are going, one of them are going to prison. Out of those three, one is going to prison. That is what the statistics say. For a black, well, he's done nothing wrong. All he was done, all only thing he did was be born into this world. And the statistics say that one of you three are going to end up in prison. So that is why we have to educate. That's why we have to bring all this stuff to the forefront. Just like you said when you came on that, you know, you said, well, hey, I had a 401k uh, plan. I used it to, to support trying to um, prove my son's innocence. Not even knowing, and I mean, and and you advocate for justice. You 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 are consulting with, uh, like you said, Joyce Ann Brown's group, Mass. But this still was news to you that wow, my four hundred and one k, the money I could have been that I used that I made from that could have been used to be keeping my son in prison. These are the type of things that we have to bring uh, that we have to bring awareness to, and all this stuff, you know, with the with the whole. You know, the the way that, you know, I read up a little bit about your, your son's trial, and, and you say that, you know, in, ab- about the media. Like in IRP6 case, we can't get the media to say something, but just like in Michael Brown's case, what they want to do, they try to shed a bad – they try to shed a negative light, even on a victim. I mean, you got an 18-year-old kid that was shot to death while he was unarmed. They try to, they try to make him into a criminal – to try to smear his name. And I know that you were saying in your son's case that he basically was pre-tried and pre-convicted in the local media there. But you know what? And when it's all said and done, I may wind up being my son's alibi because Mm -hmm. what happened is they ran so much in the media and they created a story. And where, where my flash first went up when they said he shot him and went to the mall. Mm -hmm. I said to the mall. You know, and then when, when I realized it, and they tracking the cell phone, what had happened is probably in 2000 or earlier when cell phones just came out with Sprint, my son got a phone, didn't keep up with the bill, and I took the number. And I never changed the number. Mm-hmm. And I never changed the name. So it was in Kevin Snodgrass' name. So when they call themselves following Kevin Snodgrass, they was following me, and right. they followed me to the mall, and I had a movie ticket because I went to see um, Will Smith movie with my mother. So that movie ticket to this day, I have it in a, uh, uh, at the bank um, because that's who they was tracking. And then when it was all said and done with, I lived 3.2 miles from the murder scene. So clearly they were tracking me. Now, why my attorney, I took this information to the attorney I hired. He didn't even bring it up in court. And see, that is, uh, that's, the, these attorneys, I mean, they're just, they're just a part of the system. They say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not really going to fight for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your money, but I'm going to do just enough to, uh, so that you can't bring a complaint and try to get your money back uh, once I finish with the case. It, it's disgusting. Right. 
Right, exactly. Exactly. So what's next uh, for you as far as uh, fighting for Kevin, uh, Kimberly? Oh, when you flip every channel um, on now these uh, between Verizon, Comcast, and other networks, they have about 100 and so channels. I'm going to be on so many channels telling this story. Just so happened they snatched a young man whose mother is a publicist. This is what I do. Keep it in the news. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how you have to beat them. You have to put that camera on them. You have to put social media on them. And uh, these organizations, I won't call out their name, but, you know, we have a habit of having a convention, having a conference, having a roundtable. We get together, we talk about it, we plan, we party, and we come out and we don't do nothing. Well, see, on this so, day, Kimberly, <laughs> we, we like calling names. So, you know, anything, anything in your personal experience where you've gone to somebody, see, because we keep a list of these are the people that we've gone to that didn't help us. So if you want to add to that list in your personal experience that, hey, these are the people I went to, feel, feel free to call names on this show. Well, this is what I'm going to say. Uh, the NAACP in my area, the representative, mm-hmm. he, didn't even use, he didn't even use email. He didn't even use email. He still thought he was marching with Martin Luther King. And I'm not hating on the elder, but it makes no sense to have someone hold such a critical office and they're not able to move with social media or administrative. They can't communicate effectively. I'll say effectively. You know, he might be able to get up on a soapbox and, and scream in a microphone, but if he can't communicate effectively with enough people to get the to get the uh, the issue heard. Then, yeah, he needs to either, as the director of of that chapter, surround himself with people who can. Who know. Right. I mean, that that's what needs to happen. But you know. We we've had the the same type of uh, of you know interaction or none enter none action from uh, from the NAACP, you know our local chapter and uh, and national as well, and so so we understand that now I I got a let me let me let me mm-hmm. say this I want to say this because my boy a uh, 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 a friend is now mm-hmm. in office Cornell Brooks, and right. I will say this I will give him a chance. I would support him because he is a legal warrior. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I have to wait and see. But right now they need to go through all of these local chapters and, and, and get functioning president and organizations. Right. So that's all I can yeah. say. There's too much going on. Right, and we don't throw the baby out with the bath water. So, you know, uh, we're going to give your boy, give him a chance, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you you come back and give us a report which, or with, with what he does or what he doesn't do. But, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't prejudge anybody. But, you know, from, from your personal experience, from the previous, we'll say the previous uh, director, you didn't get what you needed for your son. And, we, well, and, we and when we talk about Cornell Brooks, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, what he just got in office at the national level. And so, uh, and, and like you said, I, I, I think he sends out email every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Hopefully he get he uh he he makes some changes and and uh, ensures that these local chapters do what they have to do to help the communities. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. and so uh you know Kimberly and then here on the program we obviously you know will will post information about the uh 
about Kevin's story, and folks can, folks can go out and listen to archives of the program as well. And uh, so how can they get in contact with you if, if someone, you know, has some information or they uh, ha- have some means by which that they can offer some support to you uh, on, on Kevin's behalf? How can they get in contact with you? Uh, you can get in contact with me at justice, the number 4, KK, at gmail.com, justice4kk at gmail.com, and then his website is justice4kk.com. Okay. All right. Well, we will um, get that posted out there and give folks an opportunity to uh, reach out to you. And, again, thank you for joining us. It's Kimberly Jenkins Snodgrass, and uh, she's fighting for the exoneration of her son, uh, Kevin. And so uh, folks can go out and get more information about that, and we will have information out there. So, again, thank you, Kimberly, for joining us this evening. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Okay, have a good evening. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and uh, start to kind of wrap things up this evening. Our uh, phone number, if you do have uh, some closing thoughts, any of our listeners out there, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll be back.
A Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Cliff Stewart and uh, our special contributing analyst, Exonery Lamont Banks, and our new co-host, Lisa Stewart. Uh, during the break, uh, Lamont, you know, we kind of uh, found some additional research and going back to that subject of uh, who profits from prisons. And the research team found this information about a neutral loaf, and you were sharing uh, uh, firsthand as to you know what that is all about. So what's what's a neutral loaf? Well, it's the most disgusting thing you can possibly imagine that uh, for uh, human consumption. It is absolutely horrific. Uh, if you get in any type of trouble uh, in some of the penitentiaries here in the state of Colorado, I know they had these where they combine breakfast, lunch, and dinner into one clay loaf, uh, if you will. Um, and that, that's kind of, and they let it sit, so it's somewhat of a chewy uh, type of um, loaf. Uh, but it is the most horrific uh, thing you can possibly imagine, and guys would be given that and no other alternative uh, to eat. So it was a way of punishment uh, by the institution uh, to punish people, whether they got in a fight or they were in confinement for a certain period of time, uh, this was a way to punish. And goes back to what we talked about earlier as far as the, just the inhumane treatment and cruelty uh, that's, done to, that's done to these people. It, it is, uh, and I was, I was one of them. So uh, it, it, it's, it's horrific. It is, it is amazing that such actions and activity uh, is endorsed by people in this country because they fail to act. And I, I used to say all the time that uh, the statement says you have the right to remain silent. Well, in this case, and fighting injustice, you don't have the right to remain silent. Somebody has to speak out. And, uh, you know, we've had several things as far as the food, spoiled milk when I was in there um, that had looked like, uh, I don't know if buttermilk would be because people like buttermilk, but it was soured milk uh, and clunks of of, of milk that they're feeding you get your milk curds, curds. so wow. you go to your table and, and you got your little cereal there and you pull it out you you have cottage cheese for milk <laughs> uh that you know and then they wonder why people are reacting the way they react absolutely i mean you so you you know i remember at sterling the budget for the for the food the captain in the kitchen shared with us that they had a budget of close to 4.5 million dollars a year uh, to provide the food that they needed to provide. But we had an incident where some meatloaf was so horrific. When people walked in the chow hall, people were throwing up. The, the smell was so bad. And they had to come in and close the kitchen down. The, the guys just refused to eat the stuff. So, um, again, this is habitual behavior that is hidden from the public, uh, that they make you think they're treating your loved ones with such respect and right. such uh, and if there's an inspection coming through and you got the brass coming through the prisons, oh, man, you, you get your plate. You're like, man, is it Christmas? <laughs> what, what's going on? Yeah, fre fresh food. Fresh food. Something's is, going on. And that's the only time we had that opportunity. But I think that's pretty horrific. And, you know, I know we're talking about food, and I know Sam's got some other um, information on that. But I wanted to read a piece of another article that goes back to the to the industry. Um this 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 really made me cringe. It says the prison industry complex is one of the fastest growing industries in the United States, and its investors are on Wall Street. This multi-million dollar industry has its own trade ex exhibitions, conventions, websites, and mail order internet catalogs. So what, you 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 ordering prisoners? Like yeah, we need. 
3,000 uh, 3, more prisoners. It's called for, slave trade. This is crazy. It also has direct advertising campaigns, architecture companies, construction companies, investment houses on Wall Street, plumbing supply companies, food supply companies, armed security, and padded sales in a large variety of colors. According to the Left Business Observer, the federal prison industry produces, this is crazy, 100% of military helmets, ammunition belts, Bulletproof vests, ID tags, shirts, pants, tents, bags, and canteens, along with war supplies, prison worker supply, 98% of the entire market for equipment assembly services, 93% of paints and paintbrushes, 92% of stove assembly, 46% of body armor, 36% of home appliances, 30% of headphones, microphones, and speakers, and 21% of office furniture, airplane parts, medical supplies, and much more. Prisoners are even raising CNI dogs for blind people. That was the sound of Cliff throwing paper across the room. This is, this is ridiculous. They're, the whole country is being supplied by prison labor. And, and how much are they paying them per day? 25 cents. Max. No. Yeah, some of them down to twelve cents. Yeah, I mean twenty five percent is like, oh, you've been you've been here 10, They're 15, rich if 20 they're twenty five. Yeah. Well, in Colorado we made sixty cents a day, but here's the here's the kicker. A day. Here's the kicker. They took twenty percent of that. So let me see, three dollars and sixty one cents a day to feed a prisoner. They pay them sixty cents a day in 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 the in, in some cases. Uh but then they have multi million dollar Right. Contract, and then they are beating Wall Street by 20%. Yeah, it's ridiculous because they said in Ohio, an audit found that Aramark had charged the state for 1.7 meals. It ne- 1.7 million meals it never served. That was just in two years. That added up to $2.1 million in extra costs. In Florida, the company made off the $4.9 million a year by charging the state per head instead of per meal. It, this, is, this is ridiculous. So... They said not only are they getting paid and making all this profit, but then they won't even feed you. You're talking about in a year, you you hold on to $5 million of money that was supposed to feed the prison. Why do you need to do that when your profit is already 20% more than everybody else in Wall Street? And then when you look at the situation of, like, uh, you know, the prison reform and the sentencing reform and so forth, and they're looking at, you know, ways to release the nonviolent drug offenders, yet you have... Uh, Folks like IRP6, who are who were contributing to their communities, and got railroaded, and you know when you have a situation like this, it, it, it that's when you know you look at it and it just says, okay, this system is messed up, and it it, it definitely needs reform. And so uh, uh, again, you know, we got a couple of shows that's going to be coming up here uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. You know, the 13th anniversary of the 9-11 tragedy is coming up, and we're going to uh, have a show that's dedicated to that because of the fact that it is so critical that Gary Walker and the rest of the IRP-6 develop the case investigative lifecycle software to prevent that type of thing from happening. Where the Department of Homeland Security contacted IRP Solutions, IRP Solutions provided the Department of Homeland Security with a $100 million quote for just one component of the software, that being the confidential informant module, out of 18 modules. So here you got a robust software that could help to prevent the types of things that could happen uh, through another 9-11 type tragedy, and you got the IRP-6 sitting in prison. So we're going to talk uh, about that extensively. I'm going to have an entire show ded- dedicated to that. We have our 100th show coming up as well. 
And so that's going to be a special one as well that's going to be coming up soon. We ask that you pray for our brothers, the IRP6, uh, Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper. These are six uh, men who have been wrongly convicted, wrongly incarcerated. They have been there for over two years, and we are continuing to fight on their behalf. Go out to change.org, do a search on IRP6, uh, and we talked a little bit earlier about the over 200 pages of transcript that are, uh, were not provided to them, and, uh, and that's the key to their exoneration because of the fact that their Fifth Amendment was violated. And, uh, Lisa, we're asking for additional help that as well. Yes, we want anybody who has a phone and knows how to dial it to call Eric Holder's office at 202-514-2003 or 2005 and request that Eric Holder investigate the IRP6 case and the transcript related to the Fifth Amendment violation. And Clint, we need everyone to do that. If you have a phone or if you don't have one, find somebody who else has one and make that call. <laughs> Borrow one. <laughs> Cliff, and then as far as the jury, you know, we had situations with that as well. That's right. The jurors, you were told uh, conflicting information from Judge Christine Arguello. She gave you one set of instructions uh, in open court and another set when you went back to uh, her room where she was going to ask you for special favors. You know, if she did that, she did other things. We have some information you may not have. If you want that information, contact us. Reach us at 855-529-4252. Again, at 855-529-4252. Or send us an email at contact at a-justcause.com. Go to freetheirp6.org for more information about the IRP6. Uh, go to a-justcause.com for information about a just cause. And you heard the promo earlier about uh, a just cause. And uh, we would really appreciate your support there. For archives of the program, go to AJCRadio.com. And then for 24 by 7 AJC IRP programming, go to Live365.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Each Sunday morning from 1030 to 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can catch us on Progressive Radio Network. That's PRN.FM. I want to say thank you to all of our guests. Kimberly Snodgrass, thank you for joining us tonight. Also, everyone in the chat room and our callers who called in with your comments, we appreciate it. We want to say thank you to our uh, support team, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle. Happy birthday to you. Uh, we're in the room with Dustin Jackson, the Skillers girl, giving us, uh, make sure that you guys hear what it is that we have to say. To the support team, they give us the information we give out to you, and most of the time they make sure it's accurate. We appreciate that. Also, to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate you. Support the Justice for All Reauthorization Act. Go to JustCause.com, look up more information about that. To Olivia, Gloria, Miss Barbara, I'd like to say uh, thank you for your support. Lisa, Cliff, and Lamont, uh, on behalf of the rest of the AJC radio crew, this is Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll talk to you next week. Good night. Good night, America. Good night, all. Thank you.